Thank you for engaging today's message with Wind River Community Church. Our prayer for you is that you will encounter Christ and grow in your relationship with Him. May this encourage you in connecting with other people who follow Jesus as well as knowing you are not alone. If you would like prayer, please text us at 307-240-8742 or if you would like more information about this program or past messages, visit our website at windriverchurch.com. I look forward to hearing what God is doing in your life. And now, here is today's message. Um, I got a notice from my, um, my uncles, Ole and Sven. Apparently, they decided they were going to go deer hunting. And so they scoped out where they were going to go hunting, and they put in some tree stands or something like that that they're going to go and sneak on the deer or do whatever. And so they go out and they go, they take their day that they're going to go hunting. And they get out early and they get in their spot. And all morning long, they see nothing. Noon comes and goes. Late afternoon, they still haven't seen anything or heard anything. And so it's, it's late evening by the time they get ready to pull out of the woods. And the problem is, is that as they're starting to walk, it got dark and they kind of made a wrong turn and got lost in the woods. And so they didn't know what to do, and so they were kind of wandering around, and finally Sven says to Oli, he goes, I heard somewhere that if you're lost in the woods, you just shoot three times in the air, and that's a signal that someone that you're lost and someone will come and find you. And so Sven says to Oli, you should shoot three times. So Oli says, okay, I'll do that. And so he shot three times. They wandered around some more, and still kind of probably even more lost than they thought. So Sven looks at Ole and says, I think you should shoot three more times because maybe they're looking for us and we just need to give them a better location. So Ole says, okay. So he shoots three more times and then things are looking pretty bleak because they think they're now going to have to spend the time in the woods overnight. And so Sven looks at Ole and goes, you know what? You need to shoot three more times. And Ole says, I would really like to do that, but I ran out of arrows. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> and that's why I don't hunt. Norwegians, not going to work out real well. You know, last week we got to uh, eavesdrop on a conversation that Jesus was having with a Samaritan woman at the well. And, and this is one of, one of the most fascinating conversations that I, I think Jesus has with people. I mean, there's a number of them that, that we get to eavesdrop in and listen to, but this one for me particularly carries a lot of, of weight to it. There's more to it. I could, I could literally do probably five more sermons off the woman at the well with Jesus. I really could. And, and yet, as we listen to Jesus talking with her, he, he's so masterful at what he does because he takes this everyday kind of a thing. Uh, you know, it's just a physical need that she has, and he brings it to her attention, and it's all about water. And, and he, he asks her for water, which is kind of like, why would you, you know, I mean, we talked about this last week, there's, there's two things going on. First of all, because she's a Samaritan, 
they're, they're, is, they're despised among Jews. They don't hang out together. They avoid them at all costs. They talk smack about them. They don't want anything to do with them. And so the Samaritans are really this group of people that are ostracized from the rest of the Israelites, from the Jewish people. They have nothing to do with them. And then on the other hand, Jesus is talking to a woman by himself at the well, and that could become scandalous because uh, any, just any ordinary man would not speak to a woman that he didn't have a relationship with. And so as Jesus is sitting at the well talking with this woman, it could be really perceived in the wrong way, but it, it's a Samaritan woman. And he's having this conversation with her, and she's kind of blown away by it because she recognizes that he's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's someone that has deep spiritual truths to share with her. And, and he's having this conversation, and, and he's, he's talking to her, and he's moving her to a place that her heart and her soul and her spirit have never been before. Her, her entire life, the thing that she desires the most, more than anything, is to be in relationship with someone. And, and we know that because Jesus said to her in this conversation, as they're having a conversation, and he's talking about living water to her, he said, why don't you go and, and bring your husband out here so he can join in, in the conversation? And she's like, I don't, I don't have a husband. And Jesus goes, no kidding, you don't have a husband because you've had five and the guy that you're with now won't even take you to be his wife. So you're right when you say you don't have a husband. You've got nothing, but you are living with this guy. And it kind of sounds like Jesus is really being maybe mean to her, maybe trying to help her identify that she's less than, trying to condemn her, bring condemnation to her life where she feels, she already feels bad about herself. And it looks almost like from the surface that Jesus is trying to make her feel worse about who she is than she really is. Or maybe she's perceiving that Jesus is, is trying to show how much more spiritually aware he is and how pure he is compared to her. But that's not what Jesus is doing at all. What Jesus is doing is something far greater, deeper than she could even imagine. And so as she's having this conversation, and she thinks this is a chance conversation with Jesus, but Jesus planned this thing out. If you remember, when we started chapter 4, it said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He, he could have, there's three or four different ways he could have gone to get to Galilee where he didn't have to go through Samaria, but when it says he had to, I believe that he had to because the Spirit of God was leading him there because there was this encounter that this woman needed to have because her life, her very life, everything about her was calling out, I need someone to help me. I need someone to love me. I need someone to step in relationship with me more than what I've ever had because the people that I've been in relationship so far have only seen me as an object. And so Jesus steps up and he, first thing he does is he takes her to a place where she starts to understand that the thirst that she has deep inside of her isn't for a physical thing. It's on a spiritual level. She has a need and, and, and her, her longing for something is this thirst 
for something deeper, something greater, something more significant in her life. And it's, it's something that she's never experienced before. But Jesus knows that in order for her to have her thirst quenched, she has to deal with the greatest disappointments and the greatest pain of her life. But she will never go to that spot on her own. And Jesus knows he has to take her there. That's why he says, go get your husband. Because that is just the pinpoint of her life and knowing the greatest pain in her life. It's on a relationship level. She's never had someone who loved her just for being her. She's never had someone step into her life that just said, you know what? You're made in the image of God, and because you are an image bearer of God, I love you. That's her deep need, but she doesn't know it. So Jesus is going to reveal it, but he has to take her to the most painful place in her life in order for her to find the healing that she needs. And, and here's the funny thing is that when she steps into this relationship or when she steps into this conversation with Jesus, he's using this terminology of living water to get her attention. It's the living water that Jesus is offering is, is like I said last week, it, it, it's both one and the same thing. There's two different things, but it's tied up in one thing, and that's God. And, and remember, God's a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus is saying, that this living water, first of all, gives you life, and that life is found in me. I am the living water. But the other thing that he is revealing to her, which nobody else knew up until this point, was that the living water that Jesus is also talking about is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, he wells up inside of us and gives us greater meaning, greater connectivity with God, a greater sense of purpose for our lives. It's because the Spirit of God is always at work in us. He's always moving us. He's always wanting us to see the things of this world that will reflect the glory and the, and the magnitude of who God is in, in life. And so here's God, Jesus, explaining to her that this living water is the most important thing you could ever have in your life. But she's missing the picture. She's missing the point because for her, she's thinking on a physical need. But Jesus knew that in order for her to get the living water, she needs to understand the true nature of her thirst because she's really missing the point. Up to this point, we're not exactly sure what the tone of the conversation she's having with Jesus is, but when Jesus says to her, go get your husband and bring him here, and then he reveals that he knows that she's had five husbands and the man she's living with now is not her husband. She does what you and I would do. She gets a little defensive. <laughs> and, and when you don't like a conversation or the way that conversation is going, you are going to try and figure out real quickly how to change the conversation. And so that's exactly what she does. Because all of a sudden she's going, I don't want to talk about the most painful thing of my life. So let's talk about something that's really great. And so she, she looks at Jesus and she goes, you know what? You must be a prophet. 
I perceive that you are a prophet. You are a great man because you've, you know things about me that I never revealed to you. Uh, I've never shared any of this with you, and yet you know my life. So you must be a great prophet. And by the way, so let's talk a little bit about worship because you're a prophet. And my ancestors said we should worship on this mount right here, Gerizim. That's where we should, we should worship. But you say we should worship in Jerusalem at the temple. But that's not what my answer is. Matter of fact, this well we're sitting next to, this is Jacob's well. He, he, that's the connectivity she's trying to get there. She's trying to say, you know what? We're kind of the same because you go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we claim Jacob as our father, and this is his well on, next to our little town, and so we're connected like this, and so we have this worship thing going on. But, you know, you guys say it's there, and we say it's here, and Jesus, he, he doesn't bite, because what she's trying to do is get him to go on a tangent and get off the whole thought about the pain of her life and what she needs the most. And so she's trying to deflect the conversation somewhere else. And so she comes along and she starts talking to Jesus about, about worship and what that looks like. Her problem is, is that she doesn't know she's talking to the one who should be worshipped. She, she's talking to the creator of heaven and earth. She has no clue who he is. And here he is. He's identifying to her these things. And so he, he turns real quick and he says, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. Now that sounds kind of rude, but what Jesus is saying is, is that, that what you have done as a group of Samaritans, you're trying to include our worship as Jews, Judaism, into your religion. And so what you've done is you've included the first five books of the Bible and, and you think that because you have the first five books of the Bible and you include some other ritualistic ideas about what it looks like to worship God, that you are headed in the right path and you're worshiping God like everybody else should and like we do and that you're really worshiping the true God. And, and Jesus says, but you don't have a clue as to what you're really doing. Because you don't. we have the Jews, we have the entire Torah that God has given. And Torah is, is everything from Genesis, or from Genesis right through to Malachi at the end. All of the, the prophets and the laws, the, the poetical books, the book of Lamentations, all those things, we have it. So we, what we as Jews have, we have the full picture of who God is. You have just a partial one. And when you try to worship God off a partial picture, you're not worshiping the God of creation of the universe. You're worshiping somebody you made up in your own mind. Do you see how we can get off track? When we don't know the God of the Bible, when we don't study the Bible, when we don't read the Word of God, when we don't let it seep into our hearts, when we don't let it give us direction for what we're going to do in life, when we just kind of have this picture of God that we've created in our own minds, then we've got this idea of God, and then we have, as we have our idea of God, then what we do is we produce how God actually functions in our life. We make God the functioner in our lives. He, he, he's not the one that's coming and going like, behold. Because remember, that's what God says. Behold. And he reveals what his will is for us. What we do is we say, hey, God, 
Here's your will for my life. Now fulfill it. The problem that the Samaritan woman has, and that what we have, is we see God as a cosmic slot machine. But instead of putting coins in, we've gotten pretty good that we can find stuff in our Bible or on our app because we can type in, blessing from God. And all these verses pop up, and then we go, hey God, here's a verse that you need to fulfill in my life. You need to bless me. Ching. Now, pour out your blessing to me, God. We, we've made him into being something he's not. And, and that's, that's the problem that the Samaritan woman has. Her, her whole life has been built on this worship of God that is a false understanding. And, and it's really interesting to me is she's at this well of Jacob trying to convince Jesus that the religion that she has is the same thing that he has. The problem is, even though the well that she gathers her daily water out of is a good well and it has good water, the well that she's drawing out of on her spiritual life is a false well. The water is not good. But when, when you think that's all there is in your life, that kind of water, that's what you want to draw from, that's what you want to drink from, that's what you want to bring into your life. And so Jesus is talking to her, and he wants her to understand that when he gives her living water, it will quench the thirst in her soul at the very deepest level of her soul. But she has to understand what her thirst is, first of all. And her thirst is for relationship. But she doesn't know that. She thinks that her thirst is just a physical thing. She thinks that her, she has a great understanding of who God is and that she doesn't need more of God. And you know, what Jesus is explaining to her is he's going to want her to find the God who created her and wants to be in relationship with her. The pain that's been in her heart has been expressed physically because she's gone after or been involved with a number of different men. She's, she wants to be in relationship. I think that all of us, there's two things that when you come to church, you want. First thing, you want to find a place where you can believe, where, where you know that the word of God is going to be taught, where you can hear something about God, something about God's word that will help encourage you, maybe help put you on the right track, maybe challenge your thinking. Maybe, maybe you're looking for something from the Word of God that's going to reveal more of who God is in your life. You come looking for a place to, be, to believe. But the other side of the coin is that's not the only reason you come because if that's all you were interested in, you could stay at home and watch it on television or you could actually watch one of probably a thousand different preachers on Sunday preaching across the United States. You could watch it on your device anytime you want to. And so it's not just that you want to find a place to believe, but you also want to find a place to belong. God put that desire in our heart. He gave us a desire to belong. He, 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 he created this space 
I call it the God space in our life. And so for the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, what has she been looking for her whole life? Is a place to belong. And so she's had a husband that said, I like you, but not well enough to stay with you forever, so I'll kick you to the curb. And, and number two, and number three, and number four, and number five, divorce, maybe one of them died, but she's this, still got this emptiness in her heart, that longing to belong somewhere. She wants that to be filled, and it's not being filled. And she comes to this one man. He says, look, uh, I, need, I don't really need you, but I'll take you into my house and you'll be a warming blanket for me at nighttime. And you can cook meals for me and you can clean my house, but you're, you're not worthy to be married. And she's going, at least there's an ounce of belonging. At least he's going to take me into his home. And the reason why she's at the well in the middle of the day is because she knows that the women of her community tell her they don't say, maybe they say it with words, but they say it with looks, with comments, with whispering. You don't belong here. You're not one of us. You need to go somewhere else. We don't like you. And that's, that's what we all face. I, you know what I'm talking about. Because some event took place where a bunch of your friends went to it, and you find about, out about it afterwards. And you're wondering, you're going like, why wasn't I invited? Don't I belong to that group? Are they not my people? <laughs> I, I take care of hygiene. I don't get it. And so there's this, this ache in your heart, in your soul, because you go like, I just want... I just want someone to recognize me and say, you belong here. So the Samaritan woman's really trying to get Jesus to go away from the pain of her life, to talk about something different. And so Jesus finally says, the true place of worship is in Jerusalem at the temple. But then he says something that just rattles her to her bones. He said, but I'm telling you right now, that doesn't matter anymore. Because it's not going to matter where you are, whether you're here or whether you're in Jerusalem. It, it, there's a point that's coming, and it's already here, that you can worship God from wherever. Matter of fact, that's what Jesus says in verses 23 and 24. We're going to camp out here for a little bit this morning. And it says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, this woman is, is blown away by this because her entire life. Matter of fact, I believe that the conversation she's having with Jesus about worship is because she recognizes, especially when Jesus brought up the greatest pain of her life, that she recognizes that in her life that she has sinned greatly against God. And so she, when she's talking about, about worshiping God on this mountain or in Jerusalem, what she's really saying is, I want to know where I go to take my sacrifice for my sin offering. Because my sin is great. And Jesus is saying, 
I'm telling you right now that it's, it, we're at the point in history where you don't have to go to Jerusalem now to take care of your sin because I am going to come and I'm going to reveal to you how you deal with that. So what he's telling her is that to worship God in truth means that we are to worship what is true about God. And that's where she's fallen short. She can't worship what's true about God because she doesn't have the entire truth about God. And she doesn't want to seek the truth about God because she's living in a community that says what we know is good enough. What we believe is okay. How we function with God is all right. And yet what, what Jesus is saying is, is that you have to, in order to have true worship, you have to know the truth about who God is. It only occurs when we worship in accordance with what God has revealed about himself to us. I think that, that one of the things that happens uh, for us is that we don't have a, a true picture of who God is. We've got a picture of who we want God to be, and we want God to be just grace. Just, just bring me grace. That's all I need. Is I, by the way, I live, don't I live under grace? Because if, if all I do is live under the grace of God, and by the way, the grace of God is marvelous. It's great grace. There's no, nothing greater than God's grace. But if we come to the position in our lives where we say, well, because of God's grace, I can live my life however I want to, and God's going to be okay with that. Matter of fact, I think that God is required to be okay with that because Jesus died and, and when I set, accept Jesus into my life to be my savior, that means he forgives me of my sins because I live under grace, which means that I can just go ahead and keep on sinning because God's obligated now to forgive me because I asked Jesus into my life. All that's doing is making the grace of Jesus cheap. It's making his de death on the cross insignificant because now we're making a mockery of what God has given to us because when you truly experience the grace of God when you truly experience the forgiveness of Jesus when that really comes to be a part of your life it absolutely transforms your life you you no longer want to be that guy that does that kind of sin matter of fact sin starts to repulse you because you have the spirit of of, of God the Holy Spirit lives in you and 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 sin repulses God. And see, that's where we get the misunderstanding. We, we think that our sin doesn't, isn't really a big deal to God. I want you to know that it's a really big deal to God. Do you know how big of a deal it is to God? It's such a big deal that God said that you, my son, you have got to go to the cross. You have got to die for these people because without you, they are destined to go to hell. So, sin's a big deal to God. It cost Jesus his life to take care of our sin. I think the truth is this, that the mightiest and most important thought man can entertain is, what is God like? 
what do you, when, when you think of God, what do you think of? What comes to your mind when you think of God? I don't want to think about God because that hurts my head. I get a headache thinking about God because it's just too much. A bunch of years ago, um, with my uh, elder team, I try and get, give them tools to help them in leading the church. And one of the things that's really important um, for elders to have is good theology and good doctrine. And so uh, a guy by the name of Mark Driscoll wrote a book called Doctrine. And in all of my studying in college and all the books I had to read on theology and doctrine, they made my head hurt back then. And when I started to read Driscoll's book on doctrine, I went like, this is such a good book. I've got to get this for each one of my elders. So I bought a bunch of them, and I gave them to my elders, and they started reading them. I think um, the only one that survived is Jesse. The rest of them have either died or moved along. But one of those elders came to me and said, I have to stop reading this book. And I go, why? He says, because after I read for like 20 minutes, I get a bad headache thinking so hard about this stuff. And I said, well, that's okay because you're exercising your brain, right? It, it's like exercising your muscles. Oh, a little side note. The other, um, because, because of my broken jaw, I lost some weight. And I know where it is. It's waiting to find me. It's right around the corner. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to beat this, this ugly twin of mine that wants to come back and attach himself to me again. So, and this has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> Zero. So I started working out at home. We've got an exercise machine that Lorinda and I use. She uses it way more than I do. Um, and then, um, so... You know, I don't have a gym in my house, but I figure if these skinny little arms can push this tub of lard up off the floor 10 times, that would be a good starting place. And then if I can actually get my stomach muscles to pull me up, I did about 10 sit-ups or so. And then my, I noticed that three days later that my stomach hurt really bad. And I'm going like, okay, I exercised some muscles. And so I thought, well, maybe I should just back it off and just do a few sit-ups. Right? My hernias don't like sit-ups. I was going like, why do I hurt so bad right here? And then I went, oh, oh yeah, I forgot. I have, I have a little hernia right there. So um, I bought a home kit to fix it. <laughs> and I've watched the video, so I'll be okay. See, this is what happens when Oli and Sven are swimming around in your mind all the time. <laughs> you do stuff that you're probably going like, what does that have to do with anything here? That, that was truth. It wasn't God's truth. That was just the way he... Yeah, so let's get back to where we're supposed to go. So what does it really mean to, to, to worship in spirit and truth? And I believe that Jesus is, is talking about worship that comes from the Holy Spirit when he talks about us worshiping. In, he uses the small s 
spirit in that verse, you know, when we worship in spirit. But what it is doing, what I believe Jesus is saying is, is the Holy Spirit who resides in us is the one that wells up in our spirit because, because the spirit of God confers with our spirit and teaches us and moves us. And so we get this movement from the spirit of God that's working in us and he helps us to understand and move us in, in the right place. It, it's the truth of worship is informed by God's truth, which the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And, and he, he's involved in energizing us to worship in spirit and in truth. And the living water that Jesus is offering to the Samaritan woman is exactly that, the Holy Spirit, who's going to stir up in her a greater desire for the things of God than she's ever experienced in her life. He's going to stir up in her a desire to have a relationship with God, with Jesus, than, than having these religious activities that she's participating in, in her religious sphere. That's where we're at, is we have things going on around us where we've got people who are practicing religion over here, and there's a bunch of them. It's a large group of people who practice religion, not just in the United States or around the world, but even right here in Lander. We have a lot of religious people, but there aren't that many that are, are walking into a relationship with Jesus, because not that many of them have taken and received the cup of living water that Jesus is offering to them. And, and when you drink of the, the cup of living water that Jesus gives you, it, it creates a new desire, a new passion, a new heart for God. One day Jesus was talking with a group of the spiritual leaders of Jerusalem, and, and they're always trying to trip him up. They're always throwing questions at him. They're always trying to get him to say something that he shouldn't say. But Jesus is God, and he's not going to do that. But one of the religious leaders, he came to Jesus. The spiritual leader in the community came, and Jesus could perceive that his heart was pure in the question that he asked Jesus. And here was the question he said, of all of the commandments... That, you have, that have been given to us to follow, which one, Jesus, is the greatest? He's not asking, trying to trip him up. He's asking because he wants to, to step in and obey the greatest commandment that God ever gave. And so Jesus said this in Mark 12. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. What Jesus is doing is he's pointing this young follower of God, this spiritual leader, he's a young guy, he's pointing him and he's saying that if you really want to know what it's like to worship God, if you really want to worship God in all of his splendor, in all of his majesty, the place that you start to worship God is by loving him with all of your heart. That's the starting point. God does not want a divided heart. Do you know what I mean by that? Well, let, me, let me help you. What it means to have a divided heart is that you say with your mouth and with your lips, I love God and, he, and Jesus is my Savior, but the way I live my life, I live as though God and Jesus don't even exist. Craig Groeschel. I've, I've referenced this a lot, and hopefully somebody's bought the book by now, but it's called Atheist Christian. Or Christian atheist, I'm dyslexic, Christian atheist. 
So what it means by that is that, that you say that you love God, you say that you believe in Jesus, you believe that God's done all these things, but the way you live your life, you live as though God doesn't even exist. Except for maybe on Sunday for one and a half to two hours. I better get moving. Strong affections for God are rooted in the truth of who he is. And those are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. This, this commandment that God, that Jesus gave to this young ruler, this is the beginning place of worship. Because if you don't love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength, if you just go like, maybe I'll love God with all of my heart and all of my mind. Forget the soul and the strength part. Those two can come later. You're going to have an incomplete idea about who God is. When you have a, an incomplete picture about God, when you have an incomplete understanding of who God is, then the, the God that you're worshiping, the person that you're, you say that you're going to worship, is not the God of the Bible. It's the God, again, of your own making. In Philippians, Paul, when he wrote the letter to the Philippians church, he said, for we are the circumcision. That means, let me explain that. I'm not talking about male circumcision. I'm talking about people who come to faith in Christ because what it does is it cuts away all those things in our life that are a hindrance to God. That's a circumcision of the heart. And God removes all of that. So Paul says, for we are the circumcision who, get this, Worship by the big S spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, get this, and put no confidence in the flesh. People who are engaging in religion put their confidence in the flesh. The woman at the well was putting her confidence in what she could do on that mountain with her relatives. And so to say that, that we must worship in spirit means, among other things, that it must originate from within me. When I worship God in truth, it's because I understand who God is out of the Bible. That's why it's important for you to read your Bible every day. It's not that you're checking off a box. It's because you want to get to know who God really is. Because the God that's in the Bible is different than the God that's been proclaimed to you on Fox News or CNN. It's different than the, the God that that you see in some piffy little bumper sticker in front of you. Bumper stickers and God. My uncle, who was a pastor, my mom's brother, oldest brother, he's the guy that I, when, when uh, I knew that Jesus was calling me to be a pastor, I said, I want to be like Uncle Rolf. Because he pastored in three churches his entire life. And the last church he pastored in, he pastored at that church for 28 years. And I said, that's the kind of pastor I want to be. Hang on, because we're only at year 20. <laughs> he lived in Spokane. And this is back in the 70s when, you know, bumper stickers were starting to become a big thing. And, you know, they had all these other, you know, uh, like they had the little sign that looked like a Coca-Cola sign that said Christ is the real thing. That was a bumper sticker. The one that my uncle saw as he sat right in the car in front of him, it said, honk if you love Jesus. 
So he's sitting at a red light, and he, you know, and, and, and the person behind, in front of him, doesn't do anything. So he goes, well, maybe they thought I was honking at somebody else. So he lays on the horn again, beep, beep. And they drive off to the next one, and nothing happened. And so they pull up to the next light, and my uncle, you know, gets out, and, and he honks the horn, beep, beep. And the person in the car in front of him gets out of the car, comes back, and cusses my uncle, the pastor, out and says, what do you think you're doing? The light's red, you fool. I'm not, and he, he just cussed him. He goes, well, your bumper sticker. He says, I didn't buy that bumper sticker. I bought the car with the bumper sticker on it. <laughs> okay, lesson learned. And again, I have no idea what that has to do with anything. <laughs> worship God when we, when we worship God in spirit and in truth. It's, it's what God does inside of us, the Holy Spirit, that stirs us up to where we love God so much we just can't help but express to God who he is in the wonderment of his majesty. Worship becomes a matter of the heart, not external actions, not directed by truth rather than, it's directed by truth rather than ceremony. Our worship of God is directed by our love for him. As we love, we worship. The way that you worship God is directly connected to how much you love God. So true worship must be in spirit, that is, engaging the whole heart. And unless there's real passion for God, there is no worship in spirit. At the same time, worship must be in truth. That is properly, when that's properly informed, it means the truth about who God is. And unless we have knowledge of the God we worship, there's no worship in truth. And by the way, you can't just worship in truth because that will lead to legalism. And you can't just worship in spirit because that will lead to sensationalism. You have got to bring them both and marry them together because when we do that, then with the results of our worship will result in this joyous appreciation of God that's informed by Scripture and motivated and, and brought to passion by the Spirit of God who lives within us. One last final point I want to make to you is that I want you to see what Jesus said. So if we can go back to those verses 23 and 24. It says, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now here's the next line. I want you to get this. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is seeking people who worship in spirit and in truth. That was mind-blowing for this woman at the well. That was mind-blowing for his disciples when they heard it. They're saying, like, what do you mean? We thought we were supposed to go and seek God with all of our heart. You are. Absolutely. That's not a lie. That's the truth from the word of God. But when you seek God with all of your heart, then the Spirit of God dwells within you. And when the Spirit of God dwells within you, 
then you start to worship God in spirit and in truth. And when you do that, then God starts to seek you out. Have you ever walked away from a church service going like, don't even know why I went. I couldn't even get a good nap. <laughs> By the way, sometimes when you come to church and you're just that tired and you need to take, take a nap, I don't care. I, I'm just glad you're here. So the whole point that, that God is seeking, God's seeking you. He's always seeking someone who is worshiping him in spirit and in truth. He's seeking you. He's looking for you. So that's part of our job is to make sure that when we come to this gathering together of corporate worshiping together because we worship better together and we practice all week by ourselves and then we come together here and we worship together and, and when we come to that point, we are seeing that God is seeking those who, who are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. When that happens, our lives become absolutely transformed. And we know this because, and I'm, I'm just giving you a little bit of a preview because I'm talking about this woman again next week. But here's what happened when that woman stepped into relationship with Jesus. Something quickened in her heart as she was sitting there at the well talking with Jesus. Jesus did something that was so magnificent in her life that it quickened her her spirit to be alive, and I believe that she came to a saving knowledge of who Jesus was right there at the, at the well, because look what it says in verse 29 and 30 uh, with what happened with, after she had this conversation. She goes back to the village, and she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see Jesus. When, when people come streaming, it's not four or five. It's a truckload. Cattle truckload. They're coming out to see this. Somehow, when the woman that left that village to go get her water and the woman who went back to the village without any, any liquid water, but with living water, when she walked in and she started to talk about Jesus, everybody goes like, something's different about her. There is a change. She's been transformed. She's not that floozy we thought she was. She's speaking with something that, that is, has conviction in it. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. That's what happens when Jesus comes and does a work in your life. He changes you. You're no longer the one who's, long, who's longing to belong because now you belong to the kingdom of God. So if connecting with Jesus doesn't radically change your life, then you're always going to be going back not to the well of living water. You're going to go back to the false well whether it's broken relationships, whether it's financial things, maybe it's striving for a bigger paycheck, maybe it's, it's trying to fit in with a certain crowd and so we're nestling up our, against the, we're trying to look for popularity, whatever it is that's driving us, that, that we think this, if, if I only had this in my life, I know it would be better. 
problem is there's only one thing that fits that, and that's a relationship with Jesus. And, and unfortunately, sometimes we leave the living water sitting right where he is, and we go over to the false well, and we go, this is going to be so good. And we dip into it, and it's bitter to the taste, and it's like a ragged pill we're trying to swallow. And it leaves nothing but emptiness. Then we come back, and there's the living water of Jesus, and he's going, have a drink. Know who I am. Worship me now, in spirit and in truth. So here's the deal for us this morning. Jesus can't help you find what you need unless he takes you where you confront the deepest pain of your life. At that moment, when you say, help me, Jesus, he will step into your life. He will begin the healing process for your deepest pain, for the thing that keeps you away. We all want to believe, and we all need a place to belong. This is a place for both those things. So this morning, let it, when the worship team comes to sing, this is a great song because it's talking about Jesus. He's the way maker in our lives. He's going to make a way for you to find healing. He's going to make a way for you to, to deal with the biggest issue that you've ever done. There are things that we have hidden. And Jesus, except from Jesus, he's been sitting on the corner of the well with you, and he's revealed that you've had five husbands. We don't call them husbands. We call them other things that have been a disappointment in our life. And Jesus says, now find healing from them. Amen? Our Father, we thank you this morning that you bring healing to our lives, that you are the God of great renown, that you are not the God who gives up on us, but that you have given to us through your word everything we need to know the truth about who you are so that as we know the truth, Jesus, you said when we know the truth, that the truth will set us free. And Jesus, you are the, the way, the truth, and the life, and that brings freedom to our lives. But we would simply ask God that you would come and minister to the pain that's in our life, no matter how big or insignificant we may think it is, I would just simply ask that you would come by your Holy Spirit and that you would start to stir in us what it looks like to worship you in truth as we work through the pain, as we let you take us and lead us in a new way, as you, you come and just wrap your arms around us and say, my child, I love you. I love you deeply. Now let's deal with it. And then Jesus says, worship me. So Jesus, we want to worship you. We want to worship you in truth. and We want to worship you in spirit. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just stir that in us right now. That as we open our voices, as we sing the truth of who you are, that you would take us to a new place, that you would do something different, that there would be a new work in our lives today, and we would walk away like the woman of the well, and we would say to all of our friends, come and see. Come and see the one who knows everything about me. And look what he did in my life. Because Jesus, you are our healing water, our living water, and you bring the healing to our lives. We thank you for that. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.